John. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Going well. Did you happen to notice the beautiful red sunset we had last night? It was remarkable. I watched it as I ate a fish that I caught. All the red hues uh, reminded me of a film I had seen recently. Yeah? What movie in particular? Well, as always, I'm going to tease you with some reviews and see if you can guess it. Okay. You, you've been perfect up to this point. Oh, yeah. But uh, I doubt you'll know this one. Uh, we'll start with a small one. This is a death metal horror about a guy seeking revenge for the murder of his girlfriend named Mandy. That's a subtle one. Yeah. There's this movie called, I think it's called Deathgasm. Is that? No. Although okay. Maybe we can talk about that tomorrow. Second review also mentions death metal. Uh, the heavy metal comparison is apt, not just because the genre, I guess heavy metal genre, often included figures like the nightmarish creations in this movie, which unfolds in a very untraditional manner in both halves, but also scenes in the movie play out like songs on an album, episodically cast in extreme color palettes that amplify the trippy, surreal natures of the entire experience. That's a well-written review. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's the last one. You'll, you'll totally get this one. It's a beautifully shot film, although sometimes the use of processed grain and lens flares were distracting. The second half was exactly what I wanted, but the first half is a bit slow. Maybe, maybe that's not quite, not quite the nail in the coffin, but... But it's an accurate summary, and uh, that reminds me, and it could be, the movie Mandy. Yeah, it was Mandy. Short for Amanda, I think. 2018. With Nick, or Nicholas, does he have a preference? Nick Nicholas? If I was meeting him in person, I'd probably go full Nicholas. Well, so, I'd call him Mr. Cage to start. I think that that might come off as if you're suggesting he's an old man. Well, what do you uh, what do you remember about this movie, John? So I think the last review you read summarized my thoughts most accurately. Is first that, half was slow, second half exactly what you wanted? Uh, <laughs> well, the first half was slow, and so I was... Watching the movie, seeing it progress, felt a bit disappointed in the pacing, wasn't sure exactly where it was headed, and felt that some of the scenes were painfully slow without payoff. Like, sometimes you have a developing scene that you appreciate the subtleties or the mysterious direction of where it might head, but it just felt like the actors were acting like they were in molasses. Like, <laughs> it wasn't just the story that was slow. Or the pacing that was tempered, it was like it was shot in slow motion. Yeah, I think it was. Not only <laughs> to indicate that characters were under the influence of drugs, but I think also under the influence of demonic spirits or whatever cultish beliefs they were operating under. So yeah, I think actually the film and the speech was slowed. As far as plot line goes, it's a revenge story. It's... Nick Cage, who appears to be a logger, who mm -hmm. might have had a history that was maybe not the, the greatest experience. Maybe he had some troubled events in his life and dating an artist. They both seem to live in a, a cabin pretty far in the wilderness, and they're just enjoying themselves. The scenes that really caught my attention, well, the scene when they were in bed 
and they were talking to each other as if they hadn't met each other before, asking about what's your favorite planet. I felt like it captured the experience of when you first meet someone, like you ask something absurd just to see how they might answer it. But once you've been dating them for a while, doesn't necessarily feel like something you would ask. Kind of brought a sense of either they had a very rich history in which they just like to talk about open-ended thoughts, or they were in a relatively new or at least highly loving relationship. That's my takeaway. They seemed very adolescent, the both of them. Like mm-hmm. she was always kind of like, yeah, it's totally rad and, and far out and just like kind of this derpy, uh, sophomoric. Yeah. Their, their dialogue and their, uh, questions and conversation topics about each other were just sort of like two high school students and yeah, sort of trying to have a deep conversation, but it's just super awkward and uninteresting. Kind of that same idea. It's like an early love or an early infatuation. That's kind of what I got. And then what appears to be a band of sadomasochistic, maybe nihilists. I don't know. I found their name. They're called the Children of the New Dawn. I was having trouble figuring out if they're a nihilist because they have a belief system, but it is difficult to know what it was couched in. Yeah, and a lot of Christian imagery, like the cross and a, and a and a book of sacred book of some kind. And the the head guy, um, Jeremiah Sand, was wearing a uh, crucifix around his neck. Well, I guess they're not nihilists. Uh, influenced by psychedelics, seemingly in a ritual sense with the head guy having a musical influence on the group. I guess he's a artist himself. It seems like it was music he created and he's kind of leading this group around. And this is where the nihilist piece was kind of lost on me, or at least that's what kind of entered in my mind is because I wasn't sure what the purpose of the group was. And so, yeah, the spiritual imagery and the religious imagery uh, and the psychedelics, it seems like there's some level of structure to it. But their direction or what they were trying to accomplish, I couldn't quite pull out of the movie. There's one scene where he was, where Sand was lying on the bed at the very beginning of the movie. And when he first tells his henchman to go and get Mandy, he says something about one of them misbehaving and, and therefore not being taken away in, in some kind of rapture experience. So I, I think they're anticipating some kind of end of the world salvation moment where only they will be preserved. But yeah, it didn't really ever mention that again there's an intersection of children of the new dawn and mandy mandy's walking down the road the children of the new dawn are in a van and the leader sees mandy has a a spiritual connection you'd probably say and pursues her there are also what appear to be a group of bikers that i can't tell if it's a sister gang or just another branch of the Children of the New Dawn, or maybe it's the whole group. They just have different ways of operating in the world. I, I interpreted the bikers to be demons of some kind, because they're summoned with that special horn thing that the Children of the New Dawn keep. And uh, I think they're meant to be non-human, demonic uh, uh, individuals. I could see that, because there's one specific scene where Nicholas Cage is driving his car at one of the bikers, and then it looks like he's going to run him over. And then all of a sudden, his vehicle just gets thrown off the road, which didn't seem to be based on what hitting someone or getting close to hitting somebody would result in. So it felt like there was a, an experience that was beyond the realm of 
reality going on there. And yet they are killable. Nicolas Cage or Nick, Nick C uh, mm. does succeed in killing them. So getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. And so the children of New Dawn in their van see Mandy make eye contact. And then the leader decides that he must have Mandy kidnaps Mandy and then injects her with psychedelics. The leader then plays his music in an attempt to woo her sexually. When he disrobes, Mandy laughs. Maybe she finds it completely ridiculous. Maybe she thinks it's, it's basically interpreted by the leader that he's being humiliated by her. And then so she is tied up in a sleeping bag held above a fire. Oh, no. She was held up and then lit on fire while Nick Cage, NC, is chained up to a fence and um, with barbed wire and is forced to watch his girlfriend, fiance, wife burned alive. And that was uh, a pretty pivotal moment of the movie. <laughs> and then from there on, it's a revenge story. And Nick mm -hmm. Cage chases down these individuals and murders them. That pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I was very, 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 very bored for the first hour of the movie. And then, yeah, when he goes on his, you know, all of a sudden he's has a forge and he's crafting blades and visiting some wise man character who equips him with a, a bow and arrow and gives him intelligence on the location of these, you know, he goes through his little hero journey and, and, uh, and all that. And it sort of started to revive. And obviously there's the action of him killing all the, I didn't find the action scenes all that interesting, to be honest. Like, everybody online was ooing and aahing about that chainsaw scene where he's fighting, two two guys with chainsaws are fighting, but I I, I didn't find the action scenes terribly uh, engrossing or interesting. So, yeah, I mean, and then, and then, yeah, it slows down a ton yet again when he enters the, the church and goes underground and has his slow motion dialogue with every character before he kills them. Like So it was like an hour of boredom. 35 minutes of action and then another 25 minutes of boredom for me. I couldn't tell how serious we were supposed to take this movie. I feel like it took itself very seriously. I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but didn't the, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a trailer. I think, I think I watched the trailer before I watched the movie, but, uh, and I don't know who makes the trailer, I guess the, but it said like, it said from legendary director, blah, blah, blah. I forgot. I forget the guy's name. So I think it was like, I've never heard of this guy and uh, this movie doesn't look so great, but maybe he has some cult following or, or thinks he does. But I, I, yeah, I feel like it took itself very seriously. He did a movie before this called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I saw the first section of. And it, it seemed to be a close to the same vein. It was. I only saw the first 10 minutes. So it was a lady who looked like she was in sort of sort of psychiatric institution or at least had some experiments done to her psychiatrically. And it started going into this sort of psychedelia kind of approach. And I was like, mm, like, I'm not ready for this. Like, I don't I don't <laughs> I wasn't prepared to watch something <laughs> as abstract as it appeared to be. So I uh, stopped it. But so this is in the same vein. So maybe it's there's a following based on the style that he shoots movies and, and kind of made his name or kind of cutting a, a track for himself in the style of it. Yeah, there's three additional, four additional things things I want to mention. The, the movie takes place in the 80s, in the early 80s, 1983. There's reference to like comic books. Like there's the scenes just randomly, it seems, of 
uh, I guess he's having visions of Mandy sort of as a ghost uh, guiding him, but, but she's in like comic book form. And then um, she was reading fantasy novels all the time, like about warlocks and just nerdy stuff. And then uh, also the several reviews mentioned heavy metal or death metal, but it, to me it was more just like she had like a Motley Crue shirt on mm-hmm. Mag- Mandy did. And um, there were other scenes of like, you know, kind of for the eighties, like edgy bands, but, I don't know what to make of all that, but the 1980s thing and the comic books and the fantasy novels and kind of the, the, the nerdy, the nerdiness of all that. And then the, and then the metal just adds to the juvenile uh, feeling that these characters had, I guess. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know what to make of all that. The first quote in the movie was something along the lines of when I'm buried, bury me with a pair of speakers or something like that. And I didn't actually think it had like heavy metal playing through a lot throughout most of the movie, but it felt no, it was more like it's more like a you know those like B side you know Black Sabbath eighteen minute long where it's just a guy playing a bass guitar the whole time it, it sounded like that and if you call it death metal I, don't, I think of death metal as different but it's like this funereal dirgy bass just one note or two notes the whole time and just that just made me fall asleep and there's the pretty obvious comparison to to Charles Manson and his gang I, I think they were in the 70s weren't there but there's a lot of similarities there he a, a cult following and a, a messianic personality and uh, and so on and obviously the serial killing that charles manson did so for me i had a emotional experience through the last third of the movie when mr cage is killing all those individuals and the murder scene of the girlfriend was quite dramatic and so it did set the tone at least for me as a viewer as yeah you know nick cage would really get these guys like what they did to him is terrible and the the killings to me and this might be a reflection of my character or personality felt a little bit too muted and i was thinking wow like if this person decided to kill his girlfriend not only by burning her alive in a sleeping bag but chaining him up with barbed wire and forcing him to watch it. The whole setup there is pretty deviant, to say the least. And so I thought that his approach to killing them would have that same level of deviance or, or intention to make them suffer. And it really didn't. He just killed them under like fairly normal conditions if one can be killed under normal. Well, not normal, but you know what I'm saying? Not designed to make them suffer. And the reason why that made me think for a minute was... That's a pretty expensive experience for Nick. His girlfriend was burned alive, sure. But then he gets into this revenge mode and then dedicates and aims himself with his entire intention to kill all these people. And that's a pretty, like I said, expensive use of time and energy and direction. And I did a little research on chimpanzees. Mm. You can see the connection there. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, how specific is this to Homo sapiens? It turns out to be pretty unique. From what I've read, chimpanzees will punish someone who punishes them directly. Say, for instance, steals food. So chimp A robs chimp B. Chimp B will punish chimp A under a very short timeline. So there's no level of planning or anything. It's almost immediate. But if... Chimp A steals from Chimp C, who is best friends of Chimp B. Chimp B won't do anything. Mm. Chimp B only 
exacts punishment on chimp A if there's a direct theft. And so this idea of like a third party punishment or the idea that you broke a social norm and now you deserve to be punished, that doesn't seem to enter into the chimpanzee framework. So it feels uniquely homo sapien. So, so you're saying that if Nikki were a chimpanzee, he would have gone straight for Jeremiah and left all the other cult members alive? I'm saying if Nick Cage was a chimpanzee, he wouldn't have done anything. What, what a, let, let that sit in, Brian. <laughs> are you saying because too much time would have passed and he would have forgotten about the murder of his lady chimpanzee? The only thing that happened to Nick... Is Mandy also a chimpanzee? The only thing that happened to Nick is that he was forced against his will to, to sit while having barbed wire holding him down. Oh, I see. Okay. In the chimpanzee so, world, that is obnoxious, probably. Uh, I might be bothered by it, but the fact that you burned my girl, girlfriend chimp alive, that doesn't even register. Wow. I see. So, yeah, okay. So it seems that the chimpanzee group will protect their tribe. So as a group, if there's a threat coming in, they'll they'll run patrol and kill anyone that is coming in or coming within the territory. But it's more of a direct confrontation and then there'll be a battle. But it's more of the immediacy of it than any other level of calculation or sort of third party revenge or third party punishment. So so no. No calculated long-term search for vengeance. Do you, do you think that a chimpanzee would wear tidy whities and sit in his bathroom and scream his head off on the toilet? I would hope they would do that. A chimpanzee could be addicted to vodka or alcohol, which seems to be Nick's issue. Are you saying that the chimpanzee's uh, laissez-faire attitude about the burning of his lady chimp is, is exemplary, that we ought not to uh, have and feel and take calculated vengeance? couple things that I'm kind of brewing in my mind. One is that maybe the reasons why chimpanzees haven't dominated the world more would be because they haven't created a complex set of third party or social norms that be that are exacted and participated in. And if they did that, they might find that their empire grows. I mean, it's already pretty big. I mean, Sure, they're not dominating the world, but it's not like they're nobody. When's the last time you had a deal with a chimpanzee in the, the grocery store? Or I have yet to see a chimpanzee driving a car. That's a good point. Not even a scooter? I think they could probably master a bicycle, but I haven't even seen that. I think I see your point. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, there must be some male or mate connection some mate possessiveness because i feel like i don't know enough about chimpanzees but i feel like if if chimpanzee was mating or involved i don't know how how long term these chimpanzee relationships are but let's say you have john chimpanzee and, and jane uh-huh. chimpanzee and uh, and along comes charles chimpanzee and charles is trying to woo jane away from john chimpanzee uh wouldn't wouldn't john take umbrage and fight and and protect his access to his meat so john would defend his interests in all jane chimpanzees but not that jane chimpanzee that's my guess so it's like i'll defend 
myself against this chimp because if he defeats me, then I don't get any female chimps. But this particular female chimp, well, I mean, take it or leave it. Don't have attachment to this particular one, but there's a instinct and drive to know that I need to show dominance against this chimp so that I will have access to future Jane chimps. I see. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. All the jungle and all. Yeah. And I also think there's a future and past ability to plan and save that might also play into that. That's pure speculation. Unlike this, which. (laughs) (laughs) I had had a big thought, too. I don't want to leave behind the the chimp idea. Just let it it sort of sit on the back burner. I haven't seen a lot of Nicolas Cage movies. So I want to to preface everything I'm about to say with that statement. And also, I I, I have no idea what it takes to be an actor. I've never acted. I don't know anything about acting technique or its challenges or, or what really constitutes good acting or not. But I feel like culturally Nick Cage is viewed as a disqualifyingly bad actor. The only one other one I could think of would be like Keanu Reeves. Not to say that maybe they've both done some really good work and I haven't seen it or whatever, but I feel like there's a cultural stamp on them, you know, sort of bad actor. And um, I had this thought while watching this movie, there, there's... I couldn't I couldn't let go and fall into a state of disbelief because Nicolas Cage was the elite actor. He's been disqualified from ever being an acceptable actor. And uh, that sort of ruined the movie, even despite all its other poor qualities. It was like, even if it was a masterpiece uh, with with Nick Cage in the starting starring role, it was just uh, it, it was like a stillborn baby. It was like a dud from the beginning. I saw a movie that Nick Cage was in, Nick Cage, one of his earlier movies. It was uh, won an Oscar. It's called Moonstruck. And I was thinking, oh, wow, I get to see an early Nick Cage and how he might look different now as he did before. And uh, he was terrible in that movie. He acted exactly the same way. Over-exaggeration, not believable, comically overly emotional he just wasn't believable in his role he stood out as someone trying to act and so it it is surprising that he is able to get so many roles but i don't think of him as an actor so much as i think of him as nick cage so Mm -hmm. he, he he plays himself in his movies and he brings an element that at some points has a certain amount of drama to it which i appreciate but through most of the movie, it's a little comical. Yeah, and I was I was wondering, um, you know how people like, actors like Jim Carrey, for example, are typecast. You know, Jim Carrey has played other roles, but he's most known for goofy, facially flexible, comedic roles. And then somebody like Al Pacino is also pretty typecast, or, or, um, or Robert De Niro, you know, they have to play a gangster figure or, or a policeman figure or some kind of like, but they're, they're good actors. Like you can something different about Nick Cage. And I would, I would put Keanu Reeves into that same boat. It's like, they're not typecast as a certain kind of role. They're typecast as like unacceptable actors. Like they're unable to act, but I don't know if there's, if you see a difference between the, the point I'm trying to make about Nick Cage and uh, is that the same thing as being typecast? Right. An actor who takes a certain kind of role. When someone gets typecast, there's an assumption that they play a role very well and they and they play it so well that they become that type of person 
and they're chosen because they're the archetype of that presentation of whatever it happens to be. Even when De Niro was doing comedic roles, he still was playing the same guy. Yeah. So I see it as that a lot of typecasting comes from inability to be flexible. Jim Carrey has done fairly dynamic stuff. I think he's gone off the deep end a little bit with his personality, but that's, I don't know that for sure. I think he just like paints now or something. Keanu Reeves as an example. I don't, I don't know if everyone would agree that Keanu Reeves is, is a bad actor. I would agree that he is. I think that he is, comes off as very doofy and he delivers a role. I mean, a line and it's kind of always the same. It's kind of like slow, methodical, and then said as if it's this prolific, amazing thing that he just put out there. And, and it's, and he does that for no matter the line. I see your point. Like there's an inflexibility between, between them as well. It's just that instead of their character, I guess, in a sense, as being brought into the film, they're themselves. Yeah. I feel like Keanu Reeves has developed this aura of some kind of Zen master and wise man. I think he's done some fairly, I don't know the details, but like charity work and stuff. So I'm, I'm sure he's a good guy, but I think it's just his hair and the way it's, it's been styled in those John Wick movies that, yeah, and that sort of character, he's got this personality now, or he's got this reputation now as some kind of Zen figure who we ought to admire and emulate. But yeah, I, I just was uh, like Nicolas Cage, from what I understand, from what I read on these reviews, again, I haven't seen many of his movies, but he's known for like going completely overboard in all his roles and like, it's, it's either 10 or it's zero. There's nothing, there's no like moderation of his intensity. Mm-hmm. So like it, th- this movie, I thought seemed like a serious effort. It, it took itself seriously. But when you hire someone on like Nicolas Cage, I don't know what, like as a director or whoever hires the lead actors, like you're saying something about what you want this film to be by cho- you're bringing, you can't, you can't have an actor. You're, you're getting Nicolas Cage. Like he's going to bring this baggage that he's got and this reputation that he's got and this energy that he's got. So you have to factor that into like the character itself and the kind of movie you want to make. It's not like Nicolas Cage could have been replaced by an equally skilled actor. It's like we wanted, we wanted this vibe and this reaction from our viewers. So it's like, it has to be written in, not, not the character, but the actual actor has to be written into the movie. Interesting concept about like what it means to be an actor and how much of your cinematic resume you bring to a movie and and then it's all also on the part of the viewer like if if i've seen all of nicholas cage's work and i'm i'm a fan or i hate him that's going to impact my pre- that's my interpretation of this movie or if i've just seen you know con air or whatever that movie was and and that's my like main knowledge of his career like you know it's it's just an interesting thought about like what what actors bring to their roles i like nick cage I don't think many, I I think that most people I speak to say they don't like him as an actor. And this might fit in with that idea of typecasting is that I think Nick brings himself to the movie. I don't think Nick is trying to act. I think that that is just how Nick is. But in, in most cases, there's a high level of emotionality to the roles that he picks. He's either like being completely bombastic about something or completely over the top emotional or depressed or something like that. And so 
the fact that when he plays a role that people say he's overacting, he is acting more exaggerated than an average person might, but I don't think he's acting any more than Nick Cage would. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of preconceptions about him. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of his movies, so I feel like I was pretty open to a fresh experience of his acting, but this movie was very poorly acted on his part. I thought when he's at, at the, the emotional summit where he's in the, where Mandy's just been burned alive and he's reacting to that. That's just like, that's just like an animated gif waiting to happen. Like that's all it was, was him in his underwear sitting on a toilet screaming and drinking vodka. Like that, that was supposedly like who, who on who in the audience could possibly take that seriously as like a heartfelt um, reaction to the death of a loved one. It was just utterly hilarious. And then, uh, the whole rest of the movie, his face is just drenched in blood uh-huh. and the flashbacks that he has later with Mandy in the car. He just looks like he's just his facial expressions are all wrong. And so, I mean, you know, unless there's some art director school game going on that I don't understand because I'm not hip to all his um, to all the directors, you know, film noir grunge metal bullshit. <laughs> then okay, I I I I grant that fact. I I'm, I could be clueless about the uh, the art, mm-hmm. the art moves that he's making, but just from from a uh, you know wrap wrap the viewer up in an emo- you know create some empathy and create some suspension of disbelief and not laugh uh, literally laughing out loud and checking my phone every five seconds because I was so bored. Like this movie just didn't didn't function on that level. I thought of a comparison when watching it, but I was hesitant to bring it up. It felt like a Bruce Campbell in a sense, the the doofy, over exaggerated, over the top, dramatic approach to problem, and that's kind of what I felt for a second. But the underwear scene did feel intentional. They could have had him wear boxers or even have pants on or something, uh, but he was yeah he was wearing tidy whities and and uh, just screaming. And what was that scene right before when he just walks in and he stands there and he's watching that TV commercial for like some kind of cheddar, some kind of uh, macaroni and cheese, but it's like a demon, like vomiting cheddar, vomiting macaroni. Like what was that? What did you make of all that? That was just incredibly strange. That seemed to be some inside product placement joke because there was a commercial. And then if you looked in some of the cabinets, a lot of the cabinets, not a lot of them, but I saw a couple of cabinets stocked full of the, of of that macaroni and cheese. <laughs> so again, that that's the, that's the emotional apex of the movie, the moment where you know you've got the slow buildup of these two lovers gazing deeply into each other's eyes under under starlit open ceiling bedroom scenes, and they're whispering their teenage deepisms about what their favorite planet is, and then and then she's she's burned alive by this demonic cult leader and then he goes home and the movie makes a joke about macaroni and cheese uh it's just like I, that that kind of lost me at that point um yeah I, I i got the bruce campbell vibe as well uh but it wasn't like th- those movies are self-mocking and uh endearing for that reason but there was there was no Nicolas Cage, I didn't feel like was mocking him, his own character or anything like that, or or mocking action movies or mocking revenge movies. It was, I don't know. 
it felt like the part of the movie that involved the cultist was way too heavy to be to play along with the I felt like Nick Cage could be a mockery of a revenge seeking figure, but the death of Mandy was way too heavy and and the Christianity lace messianic cult leaders that was way too heavy to be mocking all the cultists were kind of felt like you know backwater sort of goobers like they they weren't terribly scary the the head henchman was a little bit creepy but like that one young guy who was sort of cross-eyed he didn't seem very threatening and yeah i mean the demons were fairly easily dispatched it's a very discordant movie that's the that's the adjective that i'm left with like it was mm. obviously it's all tied together by the 80s and and i wouldn't call it death metal or even heavy metal but just like bass guitar funereal dirge black sabbath kind of like without any rhythm and you know if that's your thing and you like i don't know if that's cool or are you you think that that's speaking something i don't i just uh you know i'd love to like listen to an interview of this director or someone who appreciates him and and find out what i'm missing in this movie but um i did not enjoy it that's just where i come down mm, well i wouldn't uh Try and change your mind on that. But even like I, the even sorry, just the the thing about the lighting, like many many scenes, red light filter, slow motion, uh, smoke. It just felt like it was like they had these tricks that they wanted to do, and it was just like it got so old. You just felt like you were getting like poked in the same part of your body over and over and over again. That you stopped paying attention because you were, you're just going to get poked. You didn't even want to react anymore. <laughs> I think you've done a really good job giving your your perspective on this. Uh, yeah, the the color piece did seem over exaggerated, and I was watching it on a projector screen, and it was one of the few times where I was watching a movie and it felt like it was too bright. Like I was like squinting. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> like it was it was a little uncomfortable in watching it just based on the the color levels and the brightness and such. But I think there's some strobe effects too, so it wasn't even physically pleasant to watch. <laughs> Yeah, it, it um, yeah, it it had a I don't know it it didn't it didn't seem like uh, lighting or music um, skill skillfully varied or skillfully varied. It was like okay, I know I know this thing I learned in art school. It's really cool. Let's do it for two hours, and that that's kind of like what they did. It was like it was kind of like a book report, you know, or like a it was like it was like an assignment, you know use use red lights and and use these three things and make a movie that's two hours long they use only those three things it was like very focused mm -hmm. and maybe that's this guy's style this director's style i just was desensitized to it after a while because it didn't have any variety sound very passionate very you're very nick cage about this well you know a little little nick cage in all of us i guess if i were a chimpanzee i don't think i could let this go just leave it at that so you're personally <laughs> offended to the point that you would exact revenge but if i was upset about it you wouldn't care i mean if nick cage were here i would definitely throw doo doo at him is that what chimpanzees do i think they do that in captivity i can't imagine they do that in the wild but <laughs> i haven't enjoyed this conversation john <laughs> you said you haven't i have not just because <laughs> it's about this movie yeah well uh maybe talk about another movie tomorrow yeah, I'm sure that uh, tomorrow will bring not only another movie, but another hike, too. Maybe another another hiker. Well, maybe. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself. I don't We haven't come across a single person on this trail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is for the two of us.
<laughs> All right, sir. Enjoy your slumber. All right. You do the same. <laughs>